Welcome to the Wise Women Diaries podcast. This is where shame and victimhood die. I am a woman that questions everything, so this podcast is a reflection of that. Here we speak on non-mainstream perspectives, like healing our childhood wounds, learning to trust ourselves, the voice of fear versus intuition, and how children are our teachers. We discuss what it looks like to own your power as a woman and step out of the medical paradigm. That's why I am obsessed with interviewing women who trust their bodies and babies in home birth and free birth and their wild journey from maiden to mother. Ultimately, this podcast is for women who want to thrive and have inner peace, learning how to take radical responsibility for their life and shed victimhood for good. My name is Liz Mills, and I am from Michigan, a little small town in Michigan, little farm country. I actually went to college down in Texas. That's where I met my husband. And then shortly after we got married in Texas, I brought him back up to Michigan because I wanted to be with my family. And from there, we both worked two full-time jobs. Um, We ended up opening a gym. We were both college athletes, so physical fitness was something that was very important to us. And then I also had a construction company. I I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagrams. I, I think I saw it on your list a little bit. I'm an Enneagram 8, so I have a tendency to like do everything. (laughs) And I just, I felt like I just want to take on the world. My husband and I's first date, we literally talked about how neither one of us wanted kids. And we thought we were just like this perfect match. And we were just going to take on the world. We were going to have all these gyms and these franchises and it was going to be great. And we were all gung ho about it. I would say it was, I think it was five years into our marriage. We actually started getting my nephew a lot. He kind of comes from, he's got some issues at home. And so he was coming and spending a lot of time with us and kind of getting like a taste of parenting. And we decided we really, we really liked it. And um, it was something we really wanted to try. So we started talking about it a lot more. And so we decided we were going to try. And it wasn't anything like formal, like I wasn't counting days or anything. We were like, we're just gonna stop trying to prevent it. And then a year went by and nothing happened. And we were like, okay, maybe we should maybe try counting and see what's going on here. (laughs) And at the same time, I did make a doctor's appointment just to see if they had anything to say about us trying for a year and not actually being able to conceive. I think it's important to note this is year 2019 that this all started. Um, I go to a doctor. He's not concerned at this point. He tells us to try for another six months where we're actively counting and trying to have intercourse while I'm ovulating and stuff. So we do that. We go another six months and again, we come up with nothing. So I make another appointment and they send me to an IVF clinic. Okay. And this is where we start doing like preliminary testing. They want to do blood work at different times of my cycle. My husband had to go see a urologist, give samples the, you know, sperm samples to them and stuff. And I know my 
I can't remember everything they tested in my blood, but I know like prolactin and my thyroid came back off. And immediately they were like, okay, we're going to put you on this thyroid medicine for Hashimoto's. Like you have an underactive thyroid. That's probably the reason you're not getting pregnant. And, um, but we're going to retest your prolactin because that seems weird that it's off. And I was like, well, if we're going to retest the prolactin, let's retest the thyroid before I go on medicine. Again, my husband and I, we were very health conscious. And I took pride in the fact that we were very healthy. I thought we were. Um, My whole family, most of my family has diabetes. So it was like, it was proud to me to like be healthy and eat healthy. And I don't know. So when they told me something was wrong with me, I was like, absolutely not. (laughs) No way. I'm healthy. I'm too healthy for this. There's no way. That's when I started exploring other options of like, I wanted to know why my thyroid was off. No one could give me that answer. And then I ended up going and seeing a naturopath doctor in the area around us. And they ended up running a full other panel on me and realizing that like my iodine levels were really low. And so they literally put me on an iodine supplement. I remember it was November 1st. They put me on an iodine supplement, had a full normal cycle because there were other things going on. Like my cycle was all off. Like it was anywhere from 24 days to 32 days. And no one thought that was alarming for some reason. I did, but nobody else did. I had my first normal cycle when I went on the iodine. And then the very next month I conceived our son. So it was just crazy. And people who struggle with infertility, it doesn't typically happen that fast. And so I like to preface with that. There's a lot of people that struggle. We have many people that we know that struggle with infertility. And we're very, very fortunate that it happened that quickly for us. Then, sorry, I should probably go back and say that this is now 2020. And that's why I sought out a natural path doctor. I had always, I had always been someone that second guess doctors already. Anyways, they always wanted to push medicine and I never wanted to take it. Um, There have been many doctors I've gotten up and walked out of their office because again, physical fitness was so important to us, but they'd look at a BMI chart. Like I could back squat 300 pounds. I had a six pack, but I would go to the doctor and they would tell me that I was morbidly obese because I weighed 160 pounds and was only 5'8". And I was like, look away from your computer for a second and look at me and look me in the face and tell me that you think I'm overweight. Like, if you just look at me for a second, you will see that I'm not. And it was just so frustrating. So there were so many times I had gotten up and just walked out of a doctor's office because I can't stand stupidity. I can't stand people that just won't use common sense, which isn't so common anymore. So I call it critical thinking skills. (laughs) So we conceived our son in December of 2021. So we had him in August of 2022. It was a beautiful pregnancy. Everything was great. Um, I had a friend who had more of an acquaintance, not really a friend. She had like posted stuff on Instagram that I saw (laughs) and she had used a midwife in the area around us. And I was like, that's interesting. What is, what is a midwife? What does a midwife do? And 
So that led me down that rabbit hole. And it was like, you know, everything's all natural. And again, my disgust for doctors comes through. And I was like, all right, well, let me just go see my OBGYN. But I set up some meetings with some midwives in the area too, that I could meet with. I met with, I honestly only ever got to meet with one midwife. She blew me away in our meeting. It was like, I would, I went in and asked questions, you know, how many births have you done? Um, how many have had to transfer to the hospital? You know, been a failed home birth, you know, typical questions. But then I also asked questions about vaccines and like the Hep B shot and the vitamin K shot. I was like, you know, do you do those things? What do you think of those? And she wouldn't give me an opinion. She just was like, listen, um, we do them if that's what you want, but here is where you can go and find the information to do your own research on it. And never pushed me or swayed me one way or another. And that was like a big deal to me. Someone who didn't want to just tell me what to do. Yeah. Did 2020 open your eyes to vaccines or were they already open prior to that? Uh, That is so great. No, my eyes were not open to vaccines until 2020. So I'm fully vaccinated. My mom, I have all of my shots. I got the first shot of the HPV and then just, I was in college and just missed my appointment to go and get the second one. But I think that was the last shot, the last vaccine I've ever received. Just, I think one time I got the flu shot and then I got the flu that year. And so I refused to get the flu shot after that. So yeah, I mean, I always thought they were a good thing, but until 2020 and, you know, just everything that came along with that. And I just felt like as a mom, it was my job to put everything I had already thought aside. It wasn't, it wasn't about being right or wrong. It was just about what was best for my son. It didn't, it didn't matter. I don't care who's right. I don't care who's wrong. Like I, I just want to know what's best for my son. I just, And that was where, that's where I think a lot of people get lost is because they just want to be right. (laughs) And I don't know, maybe that's not the case, but. No, I uh, I think you're touching on people's need to be good and not bad. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Um, They just, and people who do vaccinate and like truly believe in them, I, I do believe it comes from a good place. I do believe they think that they're doing the right thing. I just wish they would be a little bit more open-minded to, to maybe just go, what if, what if is, I guess, just my biggest thing, you know, cause, cause I've done it as someone who is labeled an anti-vaxxer. I've been like, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? And I'm actually setting my son up for disaster to contract a terrible illness I could kill him. And not to say that there aren't risks with not vaccinating my son. People think that because I'm an anti-vaxxer that I'm thinking that there's absolutely no risk to what we're doing. There is risk. There's risk to every decision that you make. You just have to decide which risks are right for you and your family. And maybe the risks of the vaccines are right for somebody else's family, but they're not for mine. And So that's why that was one of like my probing questions. Yes, really critical thinking 
about what is right for you and your child and your family, each person comes to their own sense of peace. And some people vaccinate to get that sense of peace and Mm -hmm. other people don't vaccinate to get that sense of peace. We're all seeking that inner peace that we know is right for us. Exactly. And and I know I said earlier, like, you know, I wish they'd be, you know, just a little bit more like, what if, but ultimately, maybe they have done that. And maybe they've done that inner work, and they still decide that those risks are what's appropriate for their family and, and power to them. You know, as long as you have taken those steps, and have asked the questions, and have done the appropriate research, <laughs> instead of just going to CDC and the FDA, and you've actually looked into it, and talk to people and heard firsthand experiences on things until you've done those things. I I don't think you can actually make a proper informed decision on what you're going to do by vaccinating your kids. So you're touching on the religion of science though. And what we saw in 2020 is that it is a cult or religion, whatever word you want to use. And (laughs) questioning, questioning is not safe. And if you right. question, if you question, you're shamed and you're thrown out. Exactly. And you're called crazy and, you know, you're just, you're just a lunatic. And that's because they just want to shame you into silence. And um, I have absolutely zero shame about the things I've done. And because my mom, she gets a little, she's totally on board with every decision that we've made. You know, I've, I've given her details and everything too. She had a major awakening in 2020. Sorry, my mom's my best friend. So I, we talked to her about everything. So she's totally on board with us not vaccinating our children. Um, but she doesn't like us to tell other people that we don't vaccinate her. And that's something like, I have zero shame how I mother. Like, I, none. So if you don't like how I mother, if you don't like that my children aren't vaccinated then don't come around. And that, and that's the beginning end of it. I'm not going to hide because of a choice that I made (laughs) and make you think I vaccinated my kids. Like, no, I want you to know the truth. I did it. So again, you can make an informed decision if you want your children around mine. (laughs) So that, but I think that's more like her older generation kind of keep things to yourself kind of thing. So not that I'm like shouting from rooftops either, but yeah, don't rock the boat. Um, don't be in a way that could look make her look bad. Right. And and she's scared because so she's an Enneagram 8 as well. And so I'm one of her, like, triggers. Like, she cannot handle it if someone were to say something bad about me. And so she's terrified that, you know, grandma might get upset. I didn't vaccinate my son and say something to her about it. And she's got to go off on grandma over it. <laughs> so there's another side to that too, because she's a little, little hot headed. Oh, con. <laughs> yes. She loves it. She loves it. <laughs> so yeah, so that's all happening in 2020. You know, we're behind the scenes and doing our research and whether, you know, we're deciding whether or not we want to do the home birth. My husband is amazing. Like he just, from day one, it was just like, whatever you want to do, you know? And it was important for me. I had to go and learn, you know, what does the body do through birth? You know, what is normal? 
I had to learn all of these things before I could make an informed decision about whether I wanted to have birth, um, birth in a hospital or birth um, at home. So, but he was just like, whatever you want to do, you're the one giving birth, do whatever you have to do to be comfortable. So that was like a weight off my shoulders. I knew he would just be on board with whatever it was, but um, ultimately we did end up going with the midwife. Um, her name is Jenny Zayner from It's Your Birth in Macomb County. And she is, she has changed my life. Like she's been the doctor I've always wanted. Like, I, I don't even know how to describe it. Like I go into her office and now, you know, I'm eight months pregnant now. And so I'm going in there once a week now and she'll still every time ask me, can I take your blood pressure today? It's not, it's not ever assumed that I consent to everything. She asks me every single time I go in there, you know, can we do a urine sample? Can I take your blood pressure? Can we hear your baby's heartbeat today? You know, it's every single time. It's not ever, she's telling me what to do. I am in complete control of what's going on in the room at all times. And again, I'm an eight, so that's very important to me. <laughs> I need to have control. I remember one of the things my friend said to me when I first got pregnant was, you know, get ready because your body's not yours anymore. And I thought she was kind of insinuating, like, because my body was a vessel for my baby. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, because I'm growing a baby, you know, I get it. Ha ha. And then she was like, no, because people just come in and like poke and prod you and, you know, don't even tell you what they're doing and just go up there and you just get used to it. And I was like mortified. I was like, absolutely not. No one is coming in, poking me with anything like that is not happening. So that terrified me was another reason I went with the midwife too, because I was like, there's absolutely no way I am not going to have control over my body during one of the most vulnerable moments of my life. Um, so yes, yeah, so we went with the midwife. Absolutely amazing. It was the greatest experience. Um, I ended up, I was 39 weeks and like my water broke in the middle of the night, which again was something that was, when I was reading about birth, that was something that typically doesn't happen. Not like the movies show, like the woman has her water break in the middle of the store and then she's in labor. Typically it doesn't happen until later on in labor. So I didn't really know that's what was happening because I've never given birth before. And I thought maybe I had like peed my pants <laughs> in the middle of the night because it wasn't a lot. So, but my, my doula at the time had told me that if you are ever wondering if your water broke, lay down for five minutes and then stand back up. And when you stand back up, if you have another gush, then your water has broken. So it's like 3 a.m. and this happens, but it was like a small gush. So I, it wasn't super worried about it. And they said, the best thing you can do is go back to sleep until contractions start. So that's what I did. I went back to sleep. And the next day I had an appointment with the midwife anyways. So we went in and we tested and it, the test actually came back negative for amniotic fluid. So we were like, huh, this is weird. What is coming out of me? Then? <laughs> like, am I really peeing my pants as many times? Like what's happening? I know there's a baby pushing out my bladder, but this is weird. <laughs> it doesn't look like urine. So the following night, 
I ended up like having some some blood come out. So I was like, all right, that must mean, you know, we are in labor now. Something's happening. Wasn't feeling contractions still at this point, but um, we're having some blood. So I knew we were moving along. So the next morning I call the midwife and my doula and let them know what's happening. Then I'm not feeling contractions, but just keeping them kind of in the loop with what's going on. So uh, my mom comes over later that day and we're starting to feel, she's actually telling me when I'm having a contraction because I have no idea. <laughs> she was like feeling my belly like as it tightened and we were like trying to keep track of that and they were probably about 45 minutes apart. So they were so far apart. They didn't hurt. It was just kind of more of a tightening sensation, but the blood started picking up. We had a lot more blood um, coming out and then there was like some clotting that was coming out too. So I had let the midwife know and she had decided that she wanted me to go into the hospital just to get an ultrasound, just to make sure it wasn't any type of placental abruption or anything else that was going on. She just wanted to make sure. So we go to the hospital and I'm like calling and updating my husband. He's at work. I'm like, hey, we're going to the hospital. No worries. Like not a big deal. <laughs> Trying to be calm. <laughs> And he was like, well, do you need me to come? And I'm like, no, I don't need you to come. It's fine. We're just, this is routine. We're just going to do an ultrasound and we're going to leave. Well, he didn't listen to me and he showed up anyways, thank God, because he ended up saving the day. I get admitted into the hospital and they do an ultrasound, check the amniotic fluid, the placenta, everything's good. They want to do a cervical exam at this point to see where the blood's coming from and at the same time, they take a sample of the amniotic fluid to see if that's what it is. And they do a test and then it was confirmed at this point that it was amniotic fluid, that I had a small leak in my water, you know, so some was coming out. It wasn't like it had burst completely. I just had a small leak. And they just said that the blood was coming from my cervix because it was dilating so quickly. <laughs> I was like, oh boy, okay, here we go. <laughs> but then they... Like they made it seem like everything was okay. Like everything was moving along. And then all of a sudden it was just like doom and gloom. And they were like, nope, we need you to stay. We, they needed a urine sample, but because I had blood coming out, they would have to insert a catheter to get a urine sample because my blood pressure was so high at this point. And they wanted to make sure I didn't have diabetes or preeclampsia or whatever it was they were testing for. I can't remember which one now. So they were going to have to insert a catheter. And um, then they had a plan that they were going to go in and fully break my water. And then if that didn't progress labor, then they were going to give me Pitocin. And if that didn't work, then they were going to cut me open and take the baby. Like, I was like, you just said everything was fine. I'm dilating. Like things are moving along. What is going on? And I just kind of like sat back. I remember I, I was like bawling. I was hysterical because this wasn't anything that I had planned for. And I actually just threw them all out of the room. I said, I need you guys to leave. I need to talk to my husband. And my mom was there because she brought me to the hospital. And my husband met us there. And she was, you could see she was giving in. Like she had kind of like 
started to believe the doctors. And she was like, you know, this is what hospitals are for. You know, these things happen and some people have to give birth in the hospital. And I was like, mom, they just said everything was fine. They just said everything was fine. And I shit you not, my husband, the doctors ended up coming in. They brought like a team of six doctors in to try Like, it was like five or six. I can't remember now. There was nurses involved too. So there was like 10 people in the room telling us that we needed to stay because we needed to get our baby out as soon as possible. And my husband just looked at me and was like, I feel like you guys are sharpening your knives already. I need you to get out. And he just like put his foot down and made him leave so we could talk to our doctors. And they gave us just amazing advice. Like my midwife couldn't tell us I think legally she can't tell us to go against like a doctor's recommendations. And she didn't. Um, She just said that we had 24 hours from the time they confirmed that it was amniotic fluid to have the baby before she had to recommend I go back to the hospital to try to give birth. That was what she told me. (laughs) And, um, but my doula kind of could give me a little bit more information. She wasn't bound to legalities so much like the midwife was. And so she gave me some really good questions to ask the doctors, like, you know, is this an emergency right now? Like, right now, do you need to take my baby right now? Like, what, what is it? On a scale of one to 10, how big of an emergency is this? And when we asked that question, no one would answer. Like, they would not answer us. And we were just like, okay, all right. That means it's not one because if it was an emergency you would tell me right now and then I completely forgot I'm hooked up to this monitor so they're monitoring my contractions at this point and they've never told me and I, I completely forgot it was on my belly just with everything going on and so we decide we're leaving we go nope we're leaving we're gonna go home I called my midwife told her we were going home She told us what to do. We were going to get castor oil and we were going to drink that and go that route to induce labor because she did say we did need to get labor going within the 24 hours or she had to recommend I go back to the hospital. So we had a plan and we were leaving. And as we're leaving, they tell us, oh, by the way, your contractions are 10 minutes apart. I had no idea. I literally had no idea I was having contractions. And I was like, Had you led with that, I would have known from the very beginning my body is doing exactly what it needs to do. We wouldn't have had to waste three, four hours of everybody's time here, you know, stressing everybody out because my blood pressure went up to like 150 (laughs) over 90 because I'm just in such a state of distress. We left there and yeah. Let's take a moment for your husband in his masculine, his masculinity. (laughs) That is is how men should be showing up in hospitals. Yes. You know, it's so funny because I told my midwife the same story, you know, and what he did. And um, because I typically as I typically don't need that. Not to say that I don't want it, but. I don't have a problem fighting for myself. That's never been an issue. And usually he's the one like, Liz, calm down. Like, (laughs) it's going to be okay. Um, But in this moment, when I was hysterical, 
you know, just to to have a man be a man, you know, and step up and be the protector of the family like he's supposed to be. It was very lucky. (laughs) I'm very lucky. And I hope other women have that too. (laughs) Um, I feel like eh, that's a whole different conversation of, (laughs) you know, how many of them are around anymore, you know? Um, So luckily we are having, we have one boy and we're going to have another one. So hopefully we'll help rebuild the men again. (laughs) But yeah, I told my midwife the same thing and just recounted the story. And she was like, man, just a man taking the reins and just being the protector. You know, she said the same exact thing. She was like, it's just beautiful how things just fall into place and everyone just kind of falls into their natural role. Yeah. it, It was great. He's, he's amazing. So I'm, so lucky to have him by my side because it could have been a very, very different day had he not shown up, um, you know, despite me telling him not to. <laughs> so we leave the hospital. It was probably like 6 p.m. when we left the hospital, like 5.30, 6 p.m. My mom went and she got the castor oil and we just went home because I just needed to relax. We put on like a funny movie and I was just like laying there trying to relax started feeling more contractions. So that was good. But they still, I didn't know they were 10 minutes apart. I wouldn't have thought they were 10 minutes apart still at this point. So my mom gets there, I drink the castor oil. Within an hour, I'm feeling the effects of the castor oil. So I'm in the bathroom for like the next hour and a half. And contractions are definitely picking up at this point. They went from, I think they went from like eight minutes apart to two minutes apart, like within 30 minutes. I remember at one point we were, I was walking around my living room and I had a contraction that wasn't that bad. And my mom was like, you need to practice your breathing, you know, on ones that aren't too bad. And like the very next one, I was like, oh, thank God I did that because I need to breathe through these now. Um, and it was, it was just a matter of hours. My water fully broke. My midwife and my doula weren't even there because we were keeping them updated with how my contractions were two minutes, a minute and a half apart. They were down to a minute apart, but we thought it was just the castor oil kind of making like this false labor, like make it seem like it was speeding up when it really wasn't. So we were all just kind of playing it by ear and I wasn't thinking I was anywhere near the end. And um, I remember there were a couple moments again, I had read about what happens during transition and some women get nauseous and, you know, they feel certain ways. And so I had gotten this wave of nausea and I was like, hang on, I know that's a symptom of transition, but I've only been in labor for like three hours, like hard labor for like three hours. Like, there's no way I'm near the end. And I was like, get that out of your head. Like, you don't even have time to think about being close to the end. I don't even want you to get yourself excited because you're nowhere near it. So just buckle up. You're in for the long haul. And then I think like 30 minutes later is when the fetal ejection reflex happened. And our midwife and doula were not there. (laughs) I looked at my husband. I was like, call them now. He's coming. And, um... My doula got there probably within like 20 minutes and she got a shower curtain down on the bed in just enough time. The midwife walked in and 
looked at me and just went, push. <laughs> and I pushed. And so there was two contractions where I was pushing and my baby was born um, at 11 o'clock that night. So about five hours after we left the hospital. And it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And we went from just the highs and lows of them trying to had I stayed in the hospital, they would have for sure had to cut me open and take my baby. I would have never been able to relax um, to give birth the way I did. Um, so I'm very, very fortunate that we left and were able to do it at home and natural and everything like that. So it was it was amazing. That is the coolest story <laughs> yeah, because because most people get trapped in the fear of the hospital. Yeah, I've had many friends, unfortunately, you know, even, even ones that are like-minded, it's just so hard to go against what they say. And, and I know that I, I know it, it is hard and there's no way I could have done it on my own. My husband helped me walk out of the hospital that day because he knew what was best for us. But, and I have other friends that are like-minded and, you know, they want to have a home birth and they want to do these things. And one thing or another happens and they're told that they can't do it. And their husband wasn't fully on board with the home birth to begin with. And so they just end up giving in and end up having these horrendous birth stories that are, I can't even relay how awful they are when I've heard them. Um, so I'm just, I'm so fortunate. I'm so lucky that I'm, I'm able to share that story that we were able to kind of put our foot down and that things worked out because I know that there is a place for the hospital and to give birth in the hospital. I totally understand that there are people that need to give birth in the hospital. I'm lucky enough. I'm low risk, so I can do it at home, but um, hospital is there for a reason for certain people. I just, it's not for everybody. And that's what I believe. And I wish more people would, again, like see what's going on. And I think that's another thing 2020 did, you know, it just opened your eyes to everything was money driven. And if you just looked at it, you could just follow the money trail and see how birth was turned into this just money generating machine. We were lucky we were able to do it at home. And then I also like sticking it to them because I got to keep my placenta and no one got to sell that and make $50,000 off of it. And <laughs> I get, I tell everybody, I'm like, whatever you do, keep your placenta because they're going to sell it. <laughs> Truth. Uh, but they never do. They think it's gross and they think I'm weird, but <laughs> I don't care. How could the organ that created your baby be gross? It's so sad. It's, it's I just, know. It's that um, loss of reverence for the woman's body in regards to birth because the woman's body is amazing when it comes to sex, right? Mm-hmm. Vagina, exactly. boobs, sex, but with birth, breastfeeding, placenta, birth. No, there, it's a loss of reverence. Yeah, it's like, ooh, ooh. I'm like, oh, okay, well, like, what I did was pretty amazing, so I'd like to see some of y'all do it. <laughs> I think this, like, feminine awakening or something, it's from 2020 where women are reclaiming mm -hmm. birth and 
there is this reclamation of the woman's body and birth as a ceremony and women's bodies just being freaking amazing. Before 2020, before I was a mom, I, I was a hardcore feminist. Like women can do anything men can do. And I was a college athlete. I lifted all this weight. You know, I ran all these companies and, you know, worked a full-time job. I, and I loved it. I thrived in it. I just, I love being that woman that just wasn't a man's job and a man's world and doing things. And I feel like after 2020, I actually understand what it is to be feminist and like a real feminist. And I don't try to be a man anymore. Like I want to be a woman. I want to be a mother and I want to be feminine. And, and this is what's feminine raising my family making food for my family. You know, I make bread on Mondays and Thursdays. And like, that's, that's the greatest day, you know, when we make bread and rolls because it just, it helps bring my family together at dinner time and making just home cooked meals. And I remember the saying, like, you know, being barefoot and pregnant. And I'm like, there's nothing better than that. Like, that's what I am right now. Baking bread. I'm barefoot and pregnant with my toddler. And this is, the greatest thing ever and my husband's out working providing for the family and I'm glad I went through it I'm glad I've experienced what I've experienced because I can say that I've been there I've done that and it, it wasn't better than what I'm doing now and I think it was Candace Owens who said one time like you know someone lied to us they told us we could do everything a man could do, but forgot to tell us that we were still going to have to do everything a woman was supposed to do. <laughs> and so you're going to go out and work all day, and then you're going to come home and cook and clean and take care of the kids. <laughs> and it was like, they lied to us. <laughs> also that they could get double tax income. <laughs> yeah, my friend a few years ago, I remember her saying, because she had kids years years ago. And I remember, and she was a working mom. And I remember her saying, women shot themselves in the foot when they started working because mm -hmm. now we're the breadwinner and the mom. We do everything. Yep. We shot ourselves yep. in the foot. I 100% agree with that. And I'm, I am just, and that's where I get torn because 2020 was awful. So many levels, but I just, for me in my life personally and, and how it changed after it couldn't, my life couldn't be any better because of how 2020 unfolded and how it woke me up to what was going on and how we were manipulated and lied to, not just as women, just as people. And it, my life has been drastically changed for the better because of the lessons learned in 2020. Um, we ended up selling, we lived in a house in the city. We sold that. We moved an hour North. We live on a 14 acre farm. Now, um, we got chickens and pigs right now. We plan to have goats and cows. We're waiting for the next one to come get a little bit older so that I can get back out in the field with them and help milk the cows and stuff. But like, it's, it's amazing. My husband and I sit here and talk and we're like, could you imagine the people that we were when we met, if we met them today and we're like, this is what we're doing. <laughs> like they would not believe us. <laughs> so, um, 
2020 was, again, I hated it, but I loved it at the same time. And I, I think it had the same impact on a lot of other people as well. And so it was, it's amazing the greed that got to, that got to everybody. And like, had they just not pushed the vaccine so hard? You know, I don't know if I would have questioned it, you know, but it was the fact that they pushed it so hard, so quickly that I was like, hang on, like, it takes 20 years, 30 years to develop these things. And you want to tell me this is safe and effective? And, and everybody's agreeing, like something's wrong here. And like, had they just not been that greedy, they could have kept us all as consumers. I would have never questioned it. But they got so greedy and they thought they were just above everything. And then now I think this their whole world got flipped upside down. And I'm thankful for that. So it's been a whirlwind. <laughs>